What is up guys? My name is Adnan Shafi and welcome back to this last episode of Pariah Nation this season. We're going to be covering a topic that I feel one part cannot do it justice and next time I hope to get a more diverse uh, range of speakers and obviously more speakers in general just come and share their thoughts on this topic because there's definitely a lot of controversy surrounding the topic we'll be discussing today essentially which is Sino-African relations. So this is in light of all the different loans, the commercial projects and infrastructure projects that we've seen that have been commercially backed or funded by China. And we have Mikhail as well here from I mean he's a frequent guest on the show and obviously it's I'm glad and privileged to to be able to have him on today. So just for everyone who doesn't know Mikhail, just briefly introduce yourself and let us know a bit about you. and what you do and your general thoughts on this topic. Okay. Yeah, thank you Adnan and uh, thank you too also for being present for this session. Uh my name is Mikhail Benyamoya. Uh I'm an international relations student at the United States International University Africa. That's in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh I'm a student of international relations and uh that is why um I have a lot of interest in this particular subject matter. it is something that i've been keenly studying for the last one year and i hope to make useful contributions to this discussion so i would like to start by you know essentially giving out a little bit of context and uh when answering the question of whether china is uh, for is an enemy or a friend to africa i would look at it from very many from many very many perspectives but my stand would be that um china is not a friend to africa and i think thereafter i'm going to give out my um, i'm going to be, i'm going to base my arguments on why um china is seemingly a friend to africa but at the back side it's an enemy yeah yeah that's a very interesting perspective and uh, before we even enter the discussion i mean these are three valid schools of thought that we've seen develop around this topic so we definitely have a school of thought that thinks that China is not here to deal with Africa amicably it's not meant to be here to do charity or anything you know but those are ill intentions there's people who disagree with that and they form the second school of thought but the third and most popular school of thought among scholarship is that there should be caution when dealing with China and i'd say that that's most probably the view that i'm going to to be holding on to because I think there's a lot of rhetoric that people are spreading around that oh you know China is good for business China is good for business and I think that you know with all due respect to those I mean the people on that side of the scholarship I mean I think it means that we're really going to be discounting the the number of question marks that we're seeing over here right I think that we've grown up in an age of American hegemony and western hegemony in general so people automatically think that anything that is not the west is automatically good <laughs> and this is obviously fallacious reasoning and we'll we'll get into it a bit later but i mean i just want to start off for example with the the system of loans i think people people are are forgetting a key element of this discourse which is the fact that there's a history underlying loans people are making the argument that these loans are different that these uh infrastructure loans are going to be more long term and more successful etc but i am going to just challenge that and you know make make it known to everyone and i've told people this in my my tiktoks as well that even if all african debt was cancelled tomorrow africa would still be lagging behind the west for the sole reason of the inherited colonial reason uh, sorry the inherited colonial legacy So we have things like an infrastructure gap which is what we're now trying to finance with Chinese loans and a large part of this infrastructure gap is due to colonialism the fact that railways and roads and main transportation in general they were only built between key ports and the capital city so mm. this is this is one thing we need to keep in in mind but mikhail let's hear from you i mean when you hear about these infrastructure loans people are like oh there's an infrastructure gap we're in a very tight spot and we have to fill that gap with 
obviously some loans or something what some people argue that it's out of necessity that we have to you know take loans what what is, what is your stance on that yeah thank you for the question um when we talk about loans especially loans from the outside world into africa i think it's of necessity necessity to realize that there are actually two types of loans so far that you have seen just as you've discussed about the west giving us loans that is in the name of sovereign loans no conditional loans rather that have been given from the west and this has also been seen through the world bank and the imf and uh but on the other hand we also have now what we call the sovereign loans these are loans that are, are issued without any strings attached now um you need to realize the fact that the engagements between Af between african countries and china have been more of like a credit, a person going to the bank and seeking loans and of course there is no way you can take a loan without having a collateral in place so when you are when you're reaching out to china and saying um I, and and ask and seeking when you're reaching out to china and seeking a loan essentially you need to ask yourself what does this come with because obviously it's able to you are you are very much able to tell that a country is not able to it does not have the capacity to service its loans as required just by judging its history and um the reason why this is this has been happening for a very long time is because um first of all china is is trying to reassert its dom its position or is trying to reassert its position uh internationally and this has been governed as well by its political culture china's political culture has been based on three things or three occurrences that have occurred in the past we have the century of humiliation we have the great leap forward we have the cultural revolution of uh, i think 1963 to 1976 and all these if you are very keen and if you happen to study these these three occurrences that have occurred in the past then you will be able to tell why china is behaving the way it's behaving and um just to go back a little bit a little bit in time um when the colonialists were coming to africa um they came in the name of ah oh, we're just here to spread religion there's nothing else but that coming to spread religion eventually gave birth to colonialism now we are starting to see a sort of a recalibration of the same in the sense that um we are we are offering loans to you for infrastructural development but really is that the case in, is that what is really happening at the on the flip side so i think these are things that people really should seriously consider before terming china as a friend yeah yeah i think people are really discounting the i mean the importance of having skepticism and we've seen this literally with the same leaders we let's learn from our leaders of the first generation of yeah essentially the first generation of african leaders post colonialism they were faced with a similar dilemma you've been given your political independence but economic independence on an international scale is essentially something that was denied and now you're in a spot where you're like i need to produce enough goods in terms of having raw materials and transforming them into actual goods and products so that you can be able to sell them at a favorable price to other countries and make decent profit right but what do you need for that you need industry and they didn't have that industry because there was no money for that industry and also because of colonialism there was very little industry that was ever put onto the african continent i think it was only in places like south africa where there was some considerable amount of industry going on and you can see the effects of that today you know in yeah. terms of being able to manufacture on behalf of certain countries etc and rwanda says like one of those exceptions to the rule where they're starting to they're not even there yet but they're starting to develop some level of industry even producing something like the marafon for example but now yeah. we're in a similar position where they they had to take out loans or they felt the need to take out loans and they were under the impression that if they sold their commodities i.e. the raw materials that over time they'd be able to pay back those loans that was a very very serious mistake because they were not able to pay back those loans so the imf and the world bank canceled those debts right or they still demanded repayment for those debts and now they came in with this new wave of structural adjustment programs mm-hmm. right 
And now that's where the yeah. true neocolonialism came in, where they can essentially dictate your fiscal policy. But now let's look at the case with China. We're mainly contracting with China on a basis of improving infrastructure, which is important, right? And you need billions upon billions of dollars to bridge that infrastructure gap. But as you said, at what cost, right? We're under the impression that somehow this infrastructure is going to produce enough money to pay back these loans. And this is one thing that I think people forget. China is not just giving grants. They're giving loans and loans need to be paid back with the, with a very special caveat of interest. And obviously interest is one of those things that will compound over time, right? So now when we keep that in mind to all the you know, people who are essentially you know, pro-China, oh, let's work with China, et cetera. My question to you would be, what structures are in place today that are radically different from what there was 40, 50 years ago that allow us to pay back those loans on time and with interest. What do you have to say about that, Mikhail? Personally, and I wrote about this in January, but that was a little bit, that was a little bit more uh, leaning towards politics, but I think it also applies in this particular context. Um, there is a way in which African leaders have not yet harmonized structures, um, and these structures having um, come up as a necessity to the mistakes that have been made in the past. So you realize that um, many African countries that, initiate, that had to initiate their structural adjustment policies in the 80s, um, ideally could have come up with mechanisms that would enable them not to, have, not to go through the same things again. But now we're starting to see that there has been talks that China has secretly entered into agreements with various African countries that in case they don't pay, African countries do not service those loans on time, then there's going to be a collateral. And this collateral is not something small, it's something like a pot, and which is leased to the Chinese for around, for about I think 99 years, or exactly 99 years. And now that really tells you that no structures or no institutions have been harmonized such that there are mechanisms that these loans are going to be paid eventually. So in my view, there are, not, there are no mechanisms or institutions that have been made or have been initiated that would be able to act as mechanisms for these loans to be serviced on time or serviced, or serviced for that matter because we cannot say for, for, for up to a particular period of time, no. You know what I also find crazy is that people were even mentioning, oh, look, China's been sending vaccines to Palestine. They've sent vaccines to different African countries, etc. Yeah, that's all well and good, right? Now my question then remains, right? And obviously, yeah, we've seen they've sent PPE, I believe, last year, but we can, <laughs> the whole cancer thing we can, <laughs> we can address <laughs> at a different time, right? Corruption, yeah. etc. We can, we can address all those things at a different date. Uh, yeah. But obviously, they've sent all these different things. People are just saying, I mean, uh, or at least just saying that it's in quotes, you know, a form of trying to cozy up to African leaders and say, hey, we're on your side. Right. And obviously, yeah, it's concerning, right, that in spite of those good things, right, you have th- these rumors. And if they're true, it'll be very serious. It's, it's almost as if, you know, like back in the day, the way they used to have those colonial outposts. Right, mm. they in quotes invade a port, but back then it was the institution of war that was the that was most easily able to secure you that land, and then you use you use that port as a place where you can be able to ship your goods, etc. You have full sovereignty over that port. Now, how is that any different? Albeit, except for like you know the the instrument that they're using, which is now financial debt traps, mm. right? How is that different from what was happening back in that time? Because now imagine yeah. if you, you build the port, right? And this is what's happening. I think they built a port in Djibouti, right? Yeah. Now imagine you built the port. And I believe that the, I mean, uh, Djibouti's, you know, uh, global, I mean, national debt has like swelled from 50% to 85%, right? Yeah, they built a port and they also established a military base there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see, wh- wh- why is there a military base there? Question. Exactly. Why? <laughs> 
the, 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 the key thing over here is obviously Djibouti is a key port, right? Yeah. It's a very, very key port area. So now the thing is, if you dead trap a country into, yeah. and they, the countries have leaders that can like, you know, validly contract and say, we're going to give you this money, right? Yeah. Then what's going to happen? You're going to lose the port and then it's going to become what? A Chinese port. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's dangerous. I mean, like, do you know, my question to you is like, first of all, just so we know, like, has this happened before or like, where exactly do you think that this is happening? It has actually happened in Sri Lanka. Um, Sri Lanka defaulted on payments, loan payments to China. As such, uh, in the terms of their agreement uh, between China and Sri Lanka, um, the collateral that was put in place was that they are going to take seizure over a port known as Habantota for the next 99 years. Wow. So just as you say, that is not that now that can give you a perspective on how things are going. That's in with yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, sorry. That's in regards to with regards to um, with regards to loan loan payment to Russia to China, sorry, the payment to Russia, because if they can do that to a country that is not as far, because Sri Lanka to China, I don't I, I'm assuming is not very far. Yeah, no, obviously, yeah, it's because Sri Lanka is closer to India than India yeah. and China, China. etc. Yeah. So this is something that has already happened before, and this can tell you what is what is in for us. Mm. Yeah, no, it's true, and you know what's what's actually crazy is that i think people should be very worried when governments i'm not going to mention names right but if you know you know right uh certain african governments have not made public the contents of the contracts i wonder why (laughs) you know i'm wondering why it's like you know uh, when people mention, you know, that we shouldn't be afraid of China, if there's nothing to be afraid of, then why don't you make the contracts public? Exactly. Right? I mean, if, unless there's obviously something to hide, right, which is something that's very worrying, right? And obviously, I think there was even talk about one of Kenya's ports being seized. Is that, a, is that rumor actually true? Or is it that, um, or is it just like, you know, people just talking? I would not be very surprised. I would not be very surprised because this is something that has happened in other countries, just as I've mentioned, Sri Lanka. And really, what would the collateral be? Because there has to be a collateral. There definitely has to be a collateral. That is a sign qua no condition for you to be given a loan. So definitely, um, they say rumors are not very much far from the truth. (laughs) Because I'm not seeing anything else that they can list to, to China except a port. Mm. And time will tell. Time is going to tell. And uh, in my view, I think it's the port in Mombasa. Port, that would be that would be insane. Because even people don't understand, like you know, the port in Mombasa. If you understood yeah. the value of that port, even in history, right? Mombasa used to be one of those huge ports, right? Places like yeah. Mombasa. And even for Tanzania, it's somewhere like Kilwa. But now they're, they're starting a project Kilo. in Bagamoyo, right? Bagamoyo, yeah. Yeah, the, that project is going to be a few billion dollars, actually. I think it's over $10 billion. Uh, and they obviously, I mean, they're, they're trying to, to finance the new Shenzhen, basically. That's what they're calling it, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, guys. It's like we're not saying that... I mean, every single loan, we're not saying every single loan is bad, but the question is, is it favorable for us to be able to enter into those agreements, knowing the economic position that we're in today? Not even just that, it's like you're dealing with China at the same time you're dealing with the IMF, right? And we, we've known how things are. Even Kenya just signed a new IMF, uh, I think it's yeah. a three-year package yeah. in response to COVID-19. Right. And my, my point over here is that I'm going to try and just get through on this podcast is that a future in which African countries are dependent on other countries, it'll always go wrong for us. Right. Until yeah. we're independent. Right. Until we can actually push our own weight. Right. Carry our own weight. I don't think that we can be able to successfully move forward. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think also to add to what you've just said um, with regards to external influence, um, something that I've eventually realized this time is that there is no monopoly or rather a duopoly influence of um, states of, there's no duopoly or monopoly of influence in Africa. What I believe is that there's an conglomeration of actors who have different interests within Africa. So when we say that China's, when we talk about China's influence in Africa, we basically are not saying that it's the only one, but there are, there are several, but China is just one amongst the many. But that China is a little bit more recent and it's unwavering interest in Africa and the rate at which it's coming is what is really making us ask a lot of questions. And uh, another thing that I want to pass across is that um, when you read Dambisa Moyo's book, they did, she asserts that African countries that seek the most loans almost tend to be the ones that are the most corrupt. Mm. And uh, you see, for the past 10 years, kleptocracy has become the norm in, in, in governance. And this has also been synonymous with um, African government's engagement to the emerging markets. Emerging markets basically meaning the BRICS. And it's been more conspicuous with African, African countries' engagements with China. You see, and uh, another thing that I would also want to couch is that um, I've written before, I've, re I've written quite a number of papers on democratization and democracy backsliding for that matter. And something that I'm realizing is that democracy backsliding or democracy rollback for that matter has been synonymous with the rising influence of China in Africa. Mm. Have you noticed that? Because mm. as opposed to many, many the democratization, the third wave, the so-called third wave democratization in Africa came about as a result of uh, the end of the Cold War and African countries now looking towards the West for foreign aid, for grants and for loans. Okay, mm. for aid and grants for that matter. And the conditions that were attached to this were that they have to rectify things such as governance, human rights, democratization, in order for them to stand eligible to receive this particular aid. Mm. But now, many African countries have adopted something called the quote-unquote look east policy. And if you happen to study most countries in Africa and their foreign policies after 2007, you realize that many presidents have come up with this thing called the look east. And from 2014, 2015 till current times, we've started to realize that many African leaders have started relaxing on fast tracking governance and democratization. We started to see the rising abuse of human rights. We started to see presidents seeking a third presidential term using mm. unconstitutional constitutional means, because there's something mm. like that. <laughs> you see, you see. And much as they say they're trying to, there's a scholar called Kenyan foreign. Kenyan foreign policy scholar called Mumonzao. So he says that like Kenya's foreign policy, for example, has been pragmatic and assertive. And that is just because it's been able to maintain ties with its old allies, but it's also now forming new relations with new emerging powers such as China. But now, again, we are seeing that many African countries are slowly going back to where they came from. Might this be because they're not answerable to someone? And also mm. might this be because um, there's someone who has come up somewhere who's really not interested in what they are doing internally. They're just interested in giving them loans. Yeah. And that these loans go more towards um, expenditure, servicing, servicing, I mean, expenditure. So I think these are some things that we need to ponder on. That's my observation. You know what is also particularly interesting is that when you're negotiating, I mean, for example, and this is why I think it's a bit, it's a bit crazy. You have secret contracts and you, you have undisclosed amounts of money coming into the country through a Chinese loan. You know that the money is most likely going to get stolen. And actually within Dambi Samoyo's book, she, she, she mentions a study uh, from a group of researchers uh, and they actually say that you know there's a correlation or like sorry there's no 
there's no um, reverse correlation in terms of like, you know, aid being given, less aid being given to more corrupt countries. Yeah. It's actually like, you know, <laughs> the other way around. So like you find that in a lot of these countries, more aid is being given to more corrupt countries. And in spite of that corruption, they're still giving them aid, right? It makes you wonder why they're continuing. Right? The reason that she yeah. gave in her book, right, was obviously that, you know, there's people that have, I mean, the all these, uh, you know, organizations like the UN, the IMF, World Bank, they hire hundreds of thousands of people. They're all getting benefits. They drive big cars, free school fees for their workers, etc. There's that, but there's also something else I feel like was missing out. I know I haven't finished the book yet, right? Yeah. But there's another underlying incentive there. And this is exactly what I'm saying. Dealing with African, non-African countries giving us loans, why it can possibly be dangerous. If you know the leaders corrupt, right? You give them a, a couple of billion dollars on loan. You know they're not going to pay it back. So you put it as collateral. I mean, something that is arguably more valuable than the loan. Imagine having access to the Mombasa port for more than 99 years. Imagine. Is it, that's, I'd rather have that than having this country pay me back the loan with interest. Mm. You know, that's, that's even like, you know, you can speculate how much money goes through that port every single year. Yeah. Right? And now imagine if, God forbid, it was something like an airport. Yeah. Or like, they're like, listen, we're going to build this road for you. But if you don't pay, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall under our, um, our control. That's something that's entirely possible, right? And that's obviously, if you look at it from an ultra-skeptical point of view, and I think it's sometimes that's healthy, right? Because you can obviously come to that point where you realize that there's something else going on. Why would you give money if you know that it's going down the drain? Unless you're getting something better, you know? That's and I totally agree with you because... Obviously, the West is all about, you know, structural adjustment programs. They're very keen on this idea of, in quotes, spreading democracy. And we all know what that means. It's just another pretext for them to assert their domination. And like they say that, oh, yeah, you know, you need to democratize your your economies. You need to turn them into neoliberal economies, etc., so that you can be able to receive loans. Right. So obviously, obviously, we're seeing that. there's this ulterior motives that are coming from the West. Why is it that people are so hesitant to look at the East and say that there is something fishy going on there? Yeah, because um, you see, when you look at the West, the West basically calls for what we call liberalization of the market. The East, on the other hand, take a more statist approach. Where statism is concerned, is likely to be party politics, party corruption, and political patronage. That's why people have learned more towards the East because they lean more towards a statist approach and that the money, the loans that are going to be issued, you know, the, the, the loans are not issued to private, they're not issued to private entities, they're issued to governments. And who is the, what is the government? Government comprises individuals. And Thomas Hobbes, I think in his book, The Leviathan states that Human nature is selfish, it's brutal. Hans Mogendau as well says that um, human beings are basically driven by self-interest. So most of these things are just as a result of interest. And when, on the other hand, when you look at the West, they're like, um, the market needs to be liberalized. That doesn't sit very much well with African countries and African leaders. So I think to answer your question, that's the perspective that I would look at it from. And um, I think also to adding on to what you just said, there's something you mentioned about um, Djibouti and uh, why is China establishing a military base there if its interests are solely based on economics. I would look at it from an international relations perspective. Um, there's something this a term in international relations we, term, we call uh, polarity. Polarity is the power configuration among states in the international system. So, so far we've had three types of con- power configurations in the international system since, of course, the formation of the state system in 1648. Um, we've, had mul- we've had a multi-party 
a multipolar a multipolar system, international system that was before World War One. We've had bi the bipolar system that was between 1947 to 1989, and up to now we've had a unipolar system with the US being the global hegemon. And in order for you to be considered a global hegemon, the three things that you need to satisfy. Um, you need to assert your political influence, your political dominance. Okay, your dominance needs to, needs to be asserted in three ways, through politics, through economics, and social cultural wise. Politics, the realist school of international relations posits that this is seen through your military might or your military strength. And that is why you've seen them rush to give, uh, to, to establish military bases in somewhere as geopolitical or geostrategic as Djibouti. When you look at economics, we look at that through GDP and GDP per capita. China cleverly has gravitated this note more towards issuing loans to countries that in its view are vulnerable. Social cultural wise, we've started to see a tremendous increase in Confucius Institutes in different parts of the continent. I think there are almost a hundred right now discussing um, China's culture, the Chinese language and their food. Okay, that's still a part of culture. So when I look at it from these three aspects, makes me really question its intentions. And you know, we say that it's intentions that matter and not capabilities. So I think when I, if I look at it from that aspect, that is why I made my argument at the beginning of this discussion, claiming that um, I don't believe China is a friend to Africa, but it is just there to reassert its position, to reassert its dominance internationally, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, and I'm glad that you brought up Thomas Hobbes, right? Uh, because Thomas Hobbes actually mentions in the Leviathan, he he takes this idea of the state of nature, and the state exactly. of nature is essentially a time where human beings exist in absence of the state, or you know, in the absence of any sovereign. So the question is now, obviously. I mean, some people can can even argue, I mean, and this is more or less like the realist school of thought is that they, they believe that we're in essentially a Hobbesian uh, ideal, uh, sorry, ideal, like, you know, a way of essentially seeing the system of international relations. They're saying that there's a Hobbesian state of affairs where you have all these countries that are acting with their own self-interest. And it's quite currently what we'd call a war of all against all. And obviously, within there has to be a sovereign that rises up and takes the 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 seat or the throne. Yeah. And then essentially they dictate what the rest of the world is going to do. And in our current times, that's the U.S. It used to be that fight between yeah. the USSR and the U.S. Yeah. Now China's actually challenging that state of affairs, and you can see why. And like this is my question to those people who are like, you know, oh, we we shouldn't be worried at all. What is that military base doing in Djibouti if I mean, like, what, what are you defending? And then don't even get me started on Darfur, right? Because yeah. we, know, we know that there was illegal weapons being, being shipped there. That's, that's one thing we definitely know about, right? And it, it raises questions about why would it want to be able to preserve a dictatorship like that, for example, right? Um, and obviously, I mean, we've been reading a bit more about that, but they've, some scholars even theorize that... Um, what's been happening is that African countries have been leaning towards supporting China in terms of its one China policy and mm -hmm. in terms of isolating Taiwan. And apparently till, till today, there's only, I think, three countries, Burkina Faso, yeah, Sao Tome and Principe, and I can't remember the third one, but they don't, they, they, they're the only three. Yeah, they, they're the only three yeah. that recognize Taiwan mm -hmm. and still have diplomatic racial relations with Taiwan. Yeah. And then in addition to that, they're voting against certain resolutions that are, you know, call, call, like calling for investigations uh, against China to see if there's any human rights abuses in Tibet, right? And yeah. obviously, African countries are now voting against such resolutions, right? And people think that it's a sort of reciprocal agreement where the leaders will do that. But China, in turn, will actually uphold the dictatorships in those countries, Right. And also, yeah. yeah, let me just see. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, there's many reasons why we should be skeptical, right? But this is, for me, possibly the most worrying one, right? And something that we don't actually realize long term, even if it's being 
even if it's uh, you know dealing with good intentions there's a famous saying that you know the the road to hell is riddled with good intentions right and we might be in one of those situations because even if china has good intentions africa is a market for what cheaply produced goods that mm. come from china and what do we have that they want resources yeah something like the drc by the way right there's multi state actors you can see why the drc is the way it is today and it is in shambles it's because it has something like cobalt in a world of ai computers all these different things how would you even i would even go as far to say that you know a lot of these devices that we're using today they might have been procured with the involvement of child labor it's an unfortunate circumstance but it's likely that's literally how bad it is so now if africa has all these natural resources and you're able to secure that you can be able to produce again this is extra- extractionary uh you know dynamic that we've talked about before in relation to old colonialism right you take those resources or like we trade them to you at a very low price you manufacture goods at a very cheap price because remember right china has uh, one of the cheapest rates of labor worldwide yeah. like in terms of that's why a lot of businesses are actually they have like apple has their phones produced in china right so now if they produce them in china and they sell them to us at you know high prices who benefits from that agreement yeah right yeah. so and then even what you talked about was a bit scary you know especially i think we have in kenya what do we have there's like a couple of hotels that have gone up like it's like two or three hotels that are actually like you know chinese hotels right and obviously yeah. we're not saying oh you know we hate all immigrants no we're not saying we hate immigrants at all right But what we're saying is we're just like we're we're viewing what's going on, right? And obviously, there's that cultural uh, move of people actually moving to these these countries where they're they're giving those loans. For example, right? We have a lot of Chinese moving to Zambia, etc. We have a lot of Chinese moving to Kenya. All these different countries that have contracted with them on that basis of loans and everything. So now. again my question is like how is this going to affect african cultures in the future because many people are actually saying that you might need to learn mandarin in the future <laughs> it, it, like it, for real for real right it's like for real like that's what people are talking about right now and i don't actually i'm not even in doubt of that right because china is becoming a global power right yeah. so i mean what are your thoughts on that you know cultural aspect of it and also the idea that the fact that you can even just go into a kenyan store today and you can find an aisle that's dedicated to chinese foods yeah i think we cannot entirely rule out the fact that it might eventually dominate social cultural wise but that's not anytime soon it's going to be a very hard fight mm-hmm. by the time that maybe give it another 50 to 100 years but in my view not now Mm. that's that's my opinion on that and also i think i also wanted to add on to something else you just stated um there are three ways i think i would like to give a multifaceted approach towards um what we've just discussed and uh one is to do with um infrastructure the infrastructural de- developments that you've just mentioned um we say, we, we realize that the railway that was constructed in from mombasa to kisumu by the then um, colonial government was essentially to have products um, transported from one point to another now looking at the sri lankan case that this port has been seized and keeping that in mind last night i was reading walter rodney's how europe and developed africa and he was arguing on the front that many bourgeois writers have actually supported the fact that colonialism brought development to africa but did it bring development to africa or did it bring development to the white settlers who were there at that time because all these developments were just made in order for in order for the population the white settler population at that particular time to be able to benefit from those infrastructural developments now looking at the standard gauge railway looking at the infrastructural developments that have been made in place and keeping in mind that there's a possibility that the collateral that was agreed upon in the terms of the contract that the china and the african governments have gotten into 
that this is not a sort of recalibration of what happened like 100 to 150 years ago with the colonial government's influence in African countries, in Africa rather. So I think I would like to look at it from those three approaches. What's, what is really the thing with China wanting to seize the ports and infrastructural developments? And mm. also the railway that was constructed in 1899 from Mombasa to Kisumu, which was just to transport products from the, out of the coast and into the coast. And now what we are seeing right now. I think that's also another dynamic that is making me very skeptical about what China is doing in Africa. Mm. Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, obviously we've discussed a lot of skepticism. It's important to have that. And we're not saying that there is, I mean, all relationships with China are going to be dangerous. But I think yeah, it's, it's important for us to like, to realize that when you're dealing with such a major economic power, that these are the times where African countries should be working together to know what's going on, right? Because it's not just, I mean, as they're saying, okay, the thing is, yes, borders do exist, but we're being viewed as a whole. And even PLO Lumumba mentions this in one of his speeches. He says, bilateral agreements can easily be very exploitative for African countries in general. Mm-hmm. And if you're having these bilateral agreements then it's a very high chance that you're going to be exploited because i mean who are you bringing to the table you bring a gdp of how much to the table when china has like you know a gdp of that that scale and they're going to dwarf your economy right so even on a negotiating table militarily all these different things right i mean you just have to start asking questions and even one thing that Hillary Clinton said is like, and obviously, yeah, we know the U.S. If the if the the colonizer themselves, the U.S., is telling you that, you know, there's a form of neo-colonialism coming around the corner, yeah, then you know that they feel threatened. So the question is, why does the U.S. feel threatened, right? If it's if it's simply this, right? Why does the U.S. feel threatened? If it's not that China is actually trying to take its role as a power player in Africa. Why does the U.S. feel threatened? Again, that's another reason for us to be skeptical. If the United (laughs) States of Imperial America is threatening, I mean, if they feel threatened, why? (laughs) We should ask questions as to why, right? And obviously, yeah, uh, you should take those statements with a grain of salt because it's also just, you know, propaganda. The U.S. is just feeling sort of, you know, they've been on their toes about China for a while now, right? And obviously, post-Trump... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm curious to see what's going to happen because um, Trump was very much a hardliner when it came came to China. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even about COVID. Yeah. Even about COVID, everything, right? So my question is now, what stance do you think Africa should adopt in relation to China? And is there any relationship between African countries and China that can form that will ensure a safe and prosperous future for African countries? Yeah, okay, in my view, I'm not entirely against exchanges, just like we ever discussed with you one day. I find it noble, if, if any sort of exchange should take place, then it should be on the grounds of education, it should be on the ground of, grounds of technology. But I think anything aside from that might eventually lead to exploitation and one party is likely to suffer. So that's how I would look at it as, I would look at it as um, China and Africa having meaningful relations, but that should be in terms of education and technology, because both both camps would actually be of benefit to Africa and not something that you're going to regret later on as compared to seeking loans from China. On the other hand, if there are any solutions that should be provided, I think there's a need, of, there's a need for African countries to look more inwardly and uh, I think this would also be adequate citizens' awareness on uh, China's influence in Africa, because one one side of the I think there's, there are equal divides. Like one side of the divide is for are actually positive about China's influence here. Another camp is very negative, and they are almost in equal measure. So I think there should be adequate awareness that should be created with regards to this particular matter. Because from that, 
African, Africans can be able to hold their, their leaders accountable for whatever they seek to do. Because you might even find like many people don't know when these loans are taken. They just hear over in the news or from what they hear in the streets that, oh, a loan was given yesterday. I mean, rather, a loan was issued yesterday. Kenya took a loan, took a loan from China. But they really don't know like the process. They don't know what happens. And in a country, especially like Kenya, that has been quote unquote um, democratically progressive in East Africa, because in the past citizens have been able to make to like um, put their leaders accountable for whatever they do. I think that if it is something that has happened before, it is something that is likely to happen again. And if they're very serious about this particular issue, then I think we'll have a way forward on this question. So citizens awareness. Uh, balanced with, I think, homegrown solutions. Because even the South, we, we say that we're in the same, we are at the same level with countries such as Singapore at independence. But right now they are among the uh, economic powers internationally. And very many people ask what happened in between. If also African countries would have a sort of South-South cooperation among themselves, especially in the fields of education um, and technology, then I think would not have to look at the East any longer or seek any external assistance because we've seen what it has done to us so far. So yeah. Just my take on that. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that um, taxonomy of, you know, what I think good Sino-African relationships would look like because at the end of the day, I am fully in support of exchange of knowledge, exchange of opportunities, etc. When it comes to the African continent, sending, for example, groups of students getting knowledge, etc. elsewhere. And we're not here to say that, oh, you know, there's no way you can find that knowledge in Africa, right? But it's obviously getting a diverse way of like, you know, knowing the, knowing the world and its disciplines, etc. And also technology is one of those things because industrialization has to be number one on, has to be number one in terms of our, our general, um, yeah, number one in terms of our general, just, uh, you know, scope of, you know, development. It has to be the number one on that list, right? Because if it's not number one, then obviously we're going to start having issues in terms of generating income to finance our other projects because industrialization allows us to take full control of our own markets and be able to, for example, you know, just take coffee beans and package them in a factory and send them out, right? And these are things we need to just work on. Again, infrastructure is one of those things. So we're in a very difficult spot, but I'd say that for me, independence long-term is better than dependence in the short term, right? And being at the risk of, you know, losing your port, Right. Because as we've know, as we've seen, you know, I don't like I don't like when people just sort of just, you know, they lift up their hands and they just put them over their eyes and they, they don't see anything, you know, yeah. you're really not seeing anything at all. Right. You know, yeah. a lot of people forget that countries have their own interest. It's not like they're just like, yeah. oh, we're all human beings. Kumbaya, let's come together and sing a song. Right. It's not like that. Right. Yeah. A lot of these countries want money and they want raw materials. Right. And that's that's because of certain things. And obviously, if you want to look at Kwame Nkrumah and uh, Franz Fanon and what they've written about new colonialism, you can have a look. But even Kwame Nkrumah was classing it was, as one of those unfair trade relationships. And the question is, are we simply pushing ourselves into another position where we're forced to accept the hegemon in order to deal with other countries in terms of trade and secure free trade agreements or fair trade agreements? Right. These are one of these are some of the most important questions we need to ask. But in closing, and obviously I'm looking forward to having a part two on this, having some people that are possibly pro-China here as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to discuss and see when. It'll be a bit of a yeah. debate, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, I would love to I'd love to hear from you in terms of your your concluding statements and you know your general advice for people when they're researching this topic. Uh, and then we can possibly close off. Yeah, thank you. So um, what I would advise in this particular context is that um, one should not simply delve into saying that 
loans from China are bad, or rather in China's influence in Africa is bad, or China's influence in Africa is good, but they need to study so many things. You need to study um, entry of colonialism into Africa. You need to start looking at China's history. You need to look at um, when, why, why did China first of all engage itself with Africa? What were the earliest engagements between Africa and China? Then look at, keep in mind that every country is motivated, every state is motivated by its selfish or its, or its, its national interests. And going by that, you should also now come to the realization that um, whether China is a friend or is an enemy to Africa, I think if you look at, if you use that that particular methodology, then you'll be able to arrive at whether it is or it isn't. So that's what I would say in that in that particular context. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Actually, for talking about history, I believe Mao Zedong and yes. uh, Julius Nyerere entered into agreement into an agreement to build the railway in Tanzania. Yeah, they did. Yes, yeah. So this goes quite far back, but now obviously things have changed. Uh, the position of China today is radically different to what it was during Mao's time. And I believe that there's a lot that needs to be addressed in this debate in the first place. We need to look at alternatives. We need to look at uh, how we can foster independence and how we can essentially build you know, fair agreements with other countries, but at the same time also not compromising on our sovereignty as African nations, etc. It's really, really important to realize all these different things. But yeah, I mean, in, in conclusion, guys, uh, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, go on, go on, go on. I just wanted to say, also need to look at the intentions that African leaders have with regards to this particular matter. Are they really for infrastructural development or are they for the loans issued to them so that they can be plundered from public coffers? So that's also something that you need to take into realization or into consideration. Yeah, I'd say it's 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 one of those things whereby uh, when when thievery is the norm, and in certain countries we have people blaming snakes and monkeys for taking public funds, yeah. right? I mean, these are these are things you need to ask questions about, right? And if so, it's like you're assuming that you know Africa has kind-hearted leaders that that wants you know to take us out of poverty, etc. I mean, you have to be skeptical, right? And also realize that some of these dictators are also um, in many ways in agreements with China itself. So you need to look deeper into this. And in my opinion, guys, um, <clears throat> just do some reading. Also just question. That's the most important thing to question the way things are currently going. So I'm going to end the podcast here, but um, I'll also just give you a bit of a, a glimpse of what's going to be up for next season. We're going to have a very special episode about the Grand Renaissance Dam, and I'm, I'm looking for guests. So if you're interested, please kindly DM me on Instagram um, or, you know, WhatsApp, anything. Just if you have, that's if you have my contact details. Um, but yeah, let me know if you want to feature on that because we're going to be discussing whether or not the Grand Renaissance Dam um, will allow or there's a solution to that issue that's developed between Ethiopia and Egypt. <clears throat> We're also going to be discussing uh, different incidences of racism that have been happening here in Cardiff, but we're also going to be, we could be doing the, the second part of this, this, this video topic as well. So <clears throat> without further ado, thank you so much, Mikhail, for being able to make it today. And sure, sure, I just want to thank welcome. everyone for listening in as well. And I'm just going to end the podcast here and see you guys in the next season. <laughs>